Hi, everyone. This is Andy Hagens, host of the Alternative Investment Podcast. Today's episode is a replay of a panel from Alt Expo October 2023. This was our family office panel titled Family Office Investment Strategies for 2023 and Beyond. The panel featured me, Andy Hagens, as well as Kunal Merchant from Revitate, Danny Roisman from BrainVest Wealth Management, and Kirk Walton from GPWM Funds. I think we had a fantastic conversation that family offices as well as RIAs and really any high net worth investor would be interested in. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. You're listening to the Alternative Investment Podcast. We give you the insights and strategies you need to grow your wealth with alternative investments. Now, here's your host, Andy Hagens. I'm Andy Hagens, co-founder at Wealth Channel, also host of the Alternative Investment Podcast. And this panel is Family Office Investment Strategies for 2023, 2024, and beyond. We're going to dive in in just a minute. But first, I want to introduce our expert panelists. First up is Kunal Merchant, COO at Revitate. Revitate is a family office that pursues real estate, consumer-focused, and sports investments that have transformative impact. Kunal, welcome to the panel today. Thanks so much, Andy. Happy to be here. And next up, we have Danny Roisman, founding partner at BrainVest Wealth Management. BrainVest is a multi-shore, multi-family office that manages generational wealth for families and entrepreneurs. Danny, welcome. Hi, Andy. Nice to see you again. Thank you very much for having me again. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, Danny, you were on one of our previous panels, which was a smash hit. So it's great to have you back. And last but not least is Kirk Walton, managing partner at GPWM Funds. GPWM is a family of private equity real estate funds focusing on tax-advantaged real estate investments for family offices and high net worth investors. Kirk, I know you're a friend of Jimmy's. Any friend of Jimmy's is a friend of mine. So welcome. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be here. Appreciate uh, the invite to be back uh, uh, on uh, one of the uh, webinars with Jimmy Atkinson. It's great to be on the Alts webinar for the first time. Absolutely. And just a quick housekeeping note, then we're going to dive in. If you have any questions, ask them through that Q&A function. That's where I'll be sure to see them in my Zoom toolbar. We'll save a little time for Q&A towards the end. Uh, the first question I'm going to pose to Kunal first, and then if Danny and Kirk want to chime in, please feel free. So, to kick us off, family offices, ultra high net worth investors are always focused on capital preservation, especially in down markets. Uh, so my question is, where are we in the market cycle right now, Kunal? Well, if I had a perfect answer to that question, I would be probably having my own family office right now. And the, the honest answer, of course, is nobody knows for sure. Nobody's got a, a, a cap a crystal ball. But I can tell you sort of what we're seeing overall. I mean, there's no doubt that there's a lot of capital on the sidelines and has been for some time. Folks were hesitant because of the pandemic, because of interest rates, because of, but because of inflation. But we are seeing some uh, loosening up of that, and folks are eager to get back into the game. And you know, for the moment at least, there's actually interesting dynamics where, because there's less capital circulating, there's actually really good deals to be had if you know what you're looking for. And so we have a you know we have a couple of strategies that were pretty precise precision targeting like a workforce housing uh, in the Midwest strategy or an opportunity zone strategy, where it's really kind of laser focused on a specific segment of the market. And within that realm, there's still sponsors looking for 
um, capital and we can negotiate much more investor-friendly terms than we could have maybe two years ago. So I think it's really important because capital is moving back into the into the market, but the key is to really understand what you're looking for. And if you do, and if you have a you know high conviction in your investment strategy, it's actually a pretty good time to get back in before you know the influx of capital hopefully comes in a few months or years or whatever that is. Right now is actually a pretty good time to buy. Absolutely, you know, and and all the the reference to dry capital or, or dry powder rather capital on the sidelines. To me, that almost sounds bullish, you know, and and. We've had this kind of perpetual uh, recession, theoretical recession, hanging over our heads for over a year now. This theoretical bear market, you know, hanging over our heads. Uh, maybe it never materializes. I don't know, Danny. How about you? Uh, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I thank you. I'm uh, I'm I'm a little bit uh, on the on the other side of the spectrum of uh, Kunal. Um, I I'm a little bit bearish. Uh, I I think that. Um, uh, cash is a good place to be right now. I think uh, we have to wait. Uh, we're are, we're advising our families to 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 stay a little bit on the sidelines. As you said, we do have a lot of dry power and powder, and we want to keep it like this. Uh, we we're we're looking for some some signals of the market for us to be able to to join the market again. And when we see cap rates on real estate not you know expanding. It's very concerning for me uh, to try to get uh, uh, money back in. We're still seeing underwriters trying to say, are we going to exit at a five cap? Uh, if the interest rates are going to be longer uh, at four and a half, five percent, it's impossible for you to exit in a cap rate like this. So you need to have some cap rate expansions in order for you to make sufficient uh, a space to, to jump into real estate, for instance. Uh, also, something that makes us very nervous is the spread between interest rates. Uh, sorry, on the on the bonds, we're seeing triple Bs and triple As with uh, you know with with such a spread compression that we haven't seen since 2006, 2007. For me, that's also a very uh, 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 negative uh, uh, signal that the economy uh, has not and the market has not fully understood. Uh, what needs to be uh, uh, happening in order for us to start to go back into the market again. So until I start to see uh, interest rate, you know, not inverted anymore, uh, spreads uh, uh, widening on the corporate and 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 on the high yields, and also cap rate expansions, we're 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 staying on the sidelines. But I I understand and and Kunal uh, was right and and Stephen the previous guy. Uh, uh, saying that I'm sure that there are great opportunities arriving. And if you are really laser focused and we're doing that because there's going to be distressed sellers, there's going to be great opportunities, but you have to be really, really careful and uh, and how to do it and who uh, and how you're going to do it. Danny, I have to agree that the inverted yield curve is concerning. Of <laughs> course, I also, as an LP, you know, I have to agree, I want cap rates to be higher, right? I want to put some capital to work and... It, you know, I, I don't I guess I don't have any mathematical model to justify it. It just feels like in my gut cap rates should be higher than they are. And so I wonder maybe there's still a, a, a you know, further adjustment coming. The market is frozen. There's no liquidity. You know, the 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 the, the volume of deals has been down 75 percent. Everyone is in the sidelines that we're waiting uh, uh, and wishing that the interest rate will be cut quicker and then it would be able to refinance or to exit and the previous underwriting low cap rates that they got in. And that's not going to materialize. So 
you know, the bill will come, people are going to have to try to find a solution. Then I think then we'll see a flood in the market and then you see prices come down, uh, you know, cap rates go up, then you jump in. Well, Kirk, how about you? Maybe you can be the, the tiebreaker here. What are you seeing you know, at I, GPWM? <laughs> I'm right in the middle. Uh, I totally agree with uh, Kunal on it and our prior uh, presenter. If you can find the right project, uh, there are great opportunities out there to be had. And uh, I also uh, understand Danny's concerns, uh, and those are risk factors that you need to mitigate. What I'm seeing is there is still capital flowing into Opportunity Zone funds. We are still raising capital, and we're seeing that because nobody wants to pay taxes. Uh, and the Opportunity Zone capital comes from uh, an event where somebody sold something. And so when you compare you know, paying the 30% tax, you know, if you've got $10 million in capital gain, you're going to have $7 million to invest somewhere after taxes, or you're going to have 10 million to invest in an opportunity zone fund. And so that extra dollar amount uh, helps get over some of the risks. And then you do the due diligence on the assets. If you truly can find those uh, diamonds in the rough where your value, I really like the value add strategy, the rehab strategy. It's incredibly tax efficient. It's a core of what we do. Um, and you can buy at a discount to replacement value. Uh, then you're hedging your bets. Uh, because you got in at a low basis. Uh, and getting in at a low basis can help uh, mitigate those risks. Uh, I don't know where cap rates are going to be. I don't know where interest rates are going to be. I don't know where loan-to-value ratios are going to be, or even if loan-to-value ratio is going to be a relevant term in the future. It seems to be now debt service coverage ratio is what it's all about. So I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, none of us have a crystal ball. But nobody likes to pay taxes, and there are opportunities out there, uh, and I'd rather invest ten million than seven million. Uh, and you know, I've heard a couple of people mention ten thirty one exchanges, so that implies that somebody has sold some real estate asset and wants to roll it over into another real estate asset. When you compare the benefits of the opportunity zone legislation with the ten thirty one exchange, it's an absolute no brainer to go with an opportunity zone assuming you can find a comparable real estate asset to what you would have otherwise gone into. And that assumption is borne out in our experience with assets across the country. There are opportunity zones that are good markets. 16% of the country is an op zone. So they're everywhere. It just takes a little bit of extra work to find that asset. But you talk about dry powder. If you do the op zone instead of the 1031 exchange, your basis in whatever asset you sold comes out into your checking account tax-free and only the gain dollars go into the op zone fund. So you increase your liquidity at a time when having dry powder is important. And the op zone legislation gives your op zone fund enormous flexibility to be patient. There's not and, this and 45 Kirk, day. Kirk, sorry to cut you off, but you, you mentioned patience and I mean, that is kind of what I'm hearing really from everybody, you know, from Danny mentioning dry powder, Kunal or Kirk, you mentioning, you know, you do kind of have to find that diamond in the rough. So you are patient, right? You're not just trying to deploy capital as quickly as possible, like in some sort of crazy bull market. But, you know, in this market environment, Danny, I'm going to start with you on this next question. What's the primary strategy that family offices or ultra high net worth? should have right now. I'm going to assume tax efficiency is a given. So assuming tax efficiency is a given, what's the primary strategy to have in mind right now? 
Yeah, and 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 for me, like you know, we, we deal with offshore assets uh, money, so we we don't you know tax is- implications for us. It's not such a big uh, issue. So, but opportunity zones, I agree with you. It's for our U.S. taxpayers, it's a great uh, investment. Uh, for us, what we're looking and with the, with all the single family offices in our network that we discuss a lot, what we're trying to do is to look for uh, opportunities that are totally unrelated to what was going on when I just said. Uh, and what we're seeing that are great opportunities are life settlements. Uh, we believe that this is a, a very good opportunity that uh, uh, that non-correlated and it's uh, working pretty well and we have been deploying more capital on that. Uh, specialty leasing, uh, it's also something that it continues to outperform greatly uh, and there has no correlation whatsoever with the financial market. So we're increasing uh, our exposure on that level as well. Uh, and we're seeing a great um, a great opportunity on deep, so debt in possession. So we're putting a lot of uh, money right into debt in possession as well. We're seeing that it's going to be even greater opportunities when the markets start to route a little bit more. So we're getting prepared for that. So this is the more the three more, let's say, basic asset classes that we're deploying more capital right now. We're not doing in real estate right now. We're not doing in private debt that used to do a lot. Uh, we're concentrating on this uh, on these asset classes right now. Well, Danny, you brought up an interesting point that I just want to bring up briefly. You know, I'm host of the Alternative Investment Podcast. I'm always uh, reciting the benefits of alternative investments, but I have to tell everyone, everyone in the audience, a lot of it is false advertising. When alternative investments, you know, different sponsors, issuers, asset managers say these are not correlated to the public markets, but a lot of asset classes are. And Danny, there's a few though that are truly uncorrelated or you know have a correlation of 0.1 or something like minuscule. And it sounds like you've really honed in on those specific asset classes for this point in time. Yes, that's exactly what we're we're trying to to find that specific ones that are gonna be less affected of the correction that we believe that the market is gonna get. Uh, by not having uh, any sort of uh, direct exposure of beta into that uh, into that market, so life settlements is just like having not enough life policies. So then you have a actuarial, uh, actuarial risk, uh, and people unfortunately will die, and then you have to price it correctly. And again, this is not according to the economies of the life expectancy of people. Uh, in 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 specialty leasing, all the contracts are 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 super based uh, and uh, and they don't have uh, any correlation to interest rates if they go up and down you're just locking the spread and and, and you're good and when you go for instance our biggest uh, asset class into specialty leasing is helicopter leasing but for search and rescue so we don't care if the economy is going up and down you know the coast guard of australia and uk and sweden uh, which is the markets that we have most of our 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 um, vehicles uh, leased, uh, they're still going to be functioning uh, no matter what. So we're trying to find ways that we can uh, 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 get something that is not going to be linked to uh, a correction or be impacted by a, you know, very strong movement into interest rates or into the equity market or something like that. That's what Absolutely. And a lot of these larger alternative asset classes, private equity, private real estate, private credit. I mean, they are linked in some way, shape or form to the, the public yes. markets. Kunal, I want to ask about, you know, Revitate. Um, 
you know, the family office that you're involved with, what's the primary strategy right now? Is it shifted at all in this, you know, environment? And, and another related question, are you all making any tactical allocation to private credit or any of these asset classes that appear to be a little bit, you know, of a better value right now in this high yield environment? Yeah. So, you know, just for clarity, we sort of have the, the family office which piece, which is Raj Capital and, and the Raj family office. And then Revitate sort of builds on that as the family office backed alt platform, which accepts outside capital too. And, and those two kind of work together. And I mean, you know, a couple, I think a couple of things, I think one, the family has and, and has long been really bullish on real estate um, for all the reasons everybody here would understand that, you know, the, the tax efficiency, the inflation hedge, et cetera. We think, you know, real estate is a big word and there's a lot of uh, sub-segments that we can talk about in a second. So I think they're still bullish on real estate. And because of the expertise of the family uh, and our team here now, we are sort of deal hunting. And they, you know, for example, there's a project we found in New Mexico in a market that um, we never would have looked at otherwise, but we found a really tremendous deal and have built a pretty compelling uh, um, case. Again, going to that sort of laser focus piece. I think the other interesting thing that we do uh, that I can't say is fully uncorrelated, uh, but is surprisingly uncorrelated is the sports business. So, you know, are the family, our co-owners of the uh, Sacramento Kings of the, the National Basketball Association and have been for about 10 years. And a lot of my background is in sports investing and sports real estate. And it is staggering at the, the degree to which the asset appreciation in that category seems completely unperturbed by market conditions. I remember seeing a, a graph a couple months ago sort of showed on the x-axis time and the y-axis sort of value of the assets. And then it shaded the periods of the American economy where there was some kind of recession and the line just goes up and, you know, uh, 1991 and then 2001 and then global financial crisis. And it, it, it never goes down. It might, it might bend a little bit. So that's a little bit more of an off the wall idea, but we are looking a lot actually at a deeper investment in the sports industry, which I, I don't think that's cool for what it's worth. I mean, I think that's kind of what Danny was talking about. It's yeah. another asset class that is, truly uncorrelated, you know, versus what sometimes they claim is uncorrelated, but really is, is, is we literally stopped going to the games. Like imagine a business for two years, right? People didn't go to imagine any other business where the customers are no longer going to the stores and they're watching things <laughs> from afar and it doesn't affect the value of the business. I mean, that's how special sports is. And uh, we're working on a Taylor Swift fund. So we're trying to get her allocated into specific sports. No, I'm kidding. So the, the, the amount of value that's being that created be in sports never seems to stop. And so that's an area where the family is very bullish. And I think as we accept outside investors and some of our strategies too, there's a lot of interest there as well. Absolutely. I, I love talking about these you know, more niche asset classes. Uh, you might think that they're smaller asset classes. Of course they are maybe relative to, you know, private equity, private credit, but family offices in my experience are oftentimes the ones investing in these. Kirk, I want to ask a little bit more about real estate though. We were talking about higher rates, you know, I'm, I've seen private credit grow up as an asset class in the past year or two with these much thicker yields. But how are the higher rates affecting, you know, your ability to find deals, underwrite deals, get deals done in the real estate world? Is it, is it, you know, totally just a problem or is it creating some opportunity, you know, in some kind of uh, weird backward way because other people aren't hunting for deals as much? 
Yeah, there definitely isn't as many deals happening or as many people hunting for deals. And so uh, I think that can create an opportunity if, because there are fewer competitors for the right deals. Uh, the higher interest rates are definitely a headwind. Uh, and I, I wish I knew when those higher rates uh, were going to you know, decrease, but nobody does. So you have to be conservative in your underwriting and assume that rates are going to stay high or maybe even go higher and make sure that you can still you know, make the deal work. It, it, there's a <clears throat> there seems to be a lot more uh, due diligence and research. Uh, 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 we're being far more selective. It takes more time to go through and get a deal done. Uh, but at the same time, if somebody needs to sell, uh, that's the opportunity. Is there isn't as much competition and uh, there's so much uncertainty that that creates a uh, price impairment. Uh, so that creates an opportunity. Nobody likes these high interest rates. Uh, it, it definitely is hurting, um, you know, but the reason we have high interest rates is because of fear of inflation. And we are in fact seeing massive rent growth, double digit rent growth. You know, when you do your underwriting models, you're assuming maybe two and a half percent rent growth, but in the markets we're in, we're seeing 10, 15, 20, 25% sometimes rent growth, which, you know, eventually if it keeps going, if rates stay high, that means rent growth is staying high because there's still inflation. Uh, so there is a, you know, there's a give and take on that front. And if rents, if you get rent growth and then interest rate decline and you can refi at a higher NOI, that's the opportunity for value creation, wealth creation. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Andy, if I can jump in for a second. On please. The real estate please yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is really in a time where you got to get beyond the bumper stickers. Like we talk about recession or we talk about real estate or these top line descriptors, they don't mean anything really. So the recession could be happening as a bunch of small sub-segment recessions where a rolling recession in smaller pieces. I'm sure once we get the data in like 10 or 15 years, we'll see that different sectors at different times we're having what we would define, but maybe on a macro level, those things don't add up to an aggregate recession. The same thing with real estate. You know, real estate is a huge category, right? It's the acquisition of existing properties. It's development of new properties. Right now, development of new properties carries perhaps more risk than it did three, five, seven years ago. But the acquisition of existing properties may actually be attractive because you know what you're getting. It's it's a real asset. Um, and if again, if you're in the right sector, it's um, it can be attractive. And so that's one way to think about it. Another way to think about it is just you know category of real estate. This is not a time where we're looking at a ton of office. Not a time when we're looking at a ton of hotel. Um, you know, we thought once upon a time that everybody needed a place to go to work. Uh, that may not be the case anymore. It may not be as much of the case anymore. So we're sort of staying away from those sectors of real estate, but people still need a place to live. And we still have enormous um, housing shortages in this country. And we're, a lot of our cities are underbuilt, not just on the coast, but even in the middle of the country, as we've seen a migration of folks. Um, to not only the Sunbelt, but now the Midwest. So for example, we're really bullish on this strategy we have in the Midwest, where we identify growth markets that have seen long-term population growth, long-term job growth. Um, they're still business-friendly, that are still highly affordable. And then we look for class B workforce housing. So this is stuff that was built maybe in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, it's sort of aging in place. It's not a value add where someone's going to come in, buy it, uh, put a bunch of money in and uh, you know raise the rates. We're going to buy it and run it better, maybe run it more in a more professional way than a mom and pop operation. But it's very stable and it and it is sort of this double benefit where if the economy gets better, 
the people who live there may make more money and move out. But because of the housing housing shortage, there's so many people waiting uh, in Class C uh, rentals, they'll jump in. And if the economy could all do those sorts of deals cash flow, because I mean, when I hear workforce, they do immediately. They do. When I hear workforce, I just I get I get excited because that that seems like the most sure bet you could possibly correct have in real estate. Yeah, we closed a fund in December. We had cash flows in January. We had first distributions to investors within three months. So I'm not bragging. This is not rocket science. This is buying, you know, a a sub segment of the real estate market that is going to be okay. Uh, rain or shine because of just the shortage of housing and the demand for housing. It's existing properties with rents in place. And so the, it has that cash benefit with the obvious, the additional appreciation benefits. So just last thought, it's like, yes, you can still take risks, but you can you can maybe sacrifice some potential speculative upside to not lose all your money, but there's still like decent deals out there where the downside is maybe 5% or 10%, but but it's not zero and it's not negative. So that's how we think of things. Dan, Danny, how about, how about you? Oh, I, 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 I'm sorry. I need to jump in because I like to play a contra on the. On, on, I love on, it. Bring on, it on. Bring it on. No. <laughs> we, 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 you know, we have a large portfolio of, of multifamily, B uh, class, workforce housing, Midwest, yeah. and Sun Belt, 10,500 units, more yeah. or less. Um, we've been seeing a lot of issues uh, on the non controllable expenses that has been exploding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are lucky enough that you know our our we are only Freddie Mae Freddie Mac uh, uh, financed you know like uh, with with the average now nine years uh, 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 term so uh, fixed at three point two percent so it's pretty low uh, but when you're talking about new investments and we're seeing them uh, those a lot we get a negative or very it's impossible to get a negative a positive uh, uh, leverage right now. Uh, with the uh, with the, with 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 any rates that you get, and of course a lower LTV. So I I am a huge supporter for for uh, for multifamily. I have been for for a long time. But right, to invest in right now, I think it's it's you have to bet that the uh, the rents are gonna keep increasing at a much uh, a higher uh, rate. And then uh, uh, if 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 that's the case, I agree with with Kirk. You know, then you keep higher interest rates, then you cannot refinance. Then you get into a cycle that you know can becomes problematic, and and uh, and and just as an uh, as as a way that and, and I agree with you, like office sucks right now, but uh, <laughs> at one point we're seeing a great opportunity that we're looking as a distressed assets at a triple A uh, uh, downtown Frankfurt uh, 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 building uh, leased by a Dutch government for like twelve years already uh, with that we're getting to an unleveraged 11% cap rate. So when you get to that kind of a distress, maybe it's time to start looking uh, at some offices because the market is so stressed. Then there are some good opportunities. Everybody's looking to multifamily. So then it's 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 much more competition. It's a lot of, uh, of people looking at it. No one is looking at offices. No one wants to touch offices. You know, and Rothschild used to say the best place to go and invest when there's blood in the street and no one wants to touch it. And we're seeing great opportunities in in, in, in the office because, you know, it's just became dang, like poison. Yeah. I think as uh, long as you know what you're doing, like as long as you know the risk you're taking, I think that's the key thing. Like you can, if you're going to wander the other side of the street, you better be, you better have the, be prepared for the consequences. And if there are people out there who really understand that sector um, that are doing exactly what you're talking about. 
Kirk, I, I want to get to you in just a sec. We have about 10 minutes left, um, but I wanted to get to this last question. I want to make sure we get to it because I, I love this back and forth, having the you know variety of, of opinions. And they say that the bull market climbs a wall of worry, right? And you know, I want to be bullish. I hope that we see a bull market. I hope we see you know twenty percent run up in everything next year. But I want to talk about the wall of worry, right? Because with family offices, with ultra high net worth, capital preservation, uh, it's always front and center. Our friend DJ Van Curren always says the three rules for a family office: don't lose money, don't lose money, don't lose money. So, Kirk, what keeps you up at night? You know, what are the main threats? to a capital preservation strategy right now, either for, for the sectors you're involved in or even for the economy writ large? Well, I do have anxiety over uh, all the time. It's just part of uh, my makeup. I'm always worried about my client's money. Uh, and I have run the family office for Silicon Valley entrepreneurs and venture capitalists uh, since the 90s and morphed into this opportunity zone space when the tax law came out and nobody else was doing the opportunity zone space correctly. They didn't understand how to maximize the benefits and use the opzone tax legislation to maximum benefit for the ultra high net worth client or the family office client. Uh, I have anxiety about, uh, are the banks going to follow through on their commitment to lend? Uh, you know, we've had experiences where banks have been slow in funding the construction loans uh, and we'll put in construction draws for 10 million and they'll, pay out $6 million and question some others because I, things that are going on inside their world. Uh, that that part keeps me uh, up at night. Uh, and that can create distress in your projects if the bank stops funding the construction loan. You know, you're moving forward assuming that the capital is going to be there to pay the contractor's fees. And so we've had to, you know, refinance, uh, move to different lenders. And thankfully, you know, we're still surviving and doing okay with that. But that's an issue. But going back to the opportunity for a second, I wanted to address the office thing. You know, there are office buildings that can be acquired at incredibly cheap prices. And we've done that in a couple of markets and converted them to housing. And that's where there's an opportunity where you can see something that might trade at an 11 cap for an office, but is a quick turnaround uh, for housing. In fact, there's a project near Notre Dame that Jimmy knows. Uh, his alma mater. But yeah, there's ways to do that. Uh, or we bought uh, we bought an old hotel and casino from uh, a company that was merging with a larger hotel casino chain. And uh, nobody's going to Reno for gaming anymore. Mm -hmm. But there's an opportunity to take that asset, which is right by the biggest little city in the world, Arch Sign, the iconic location, covers two city blocks at the heart of downtown Reno, which is booming. And we acquired it at an incredibly cheap price. Uh, those, those opportunities are out there. Um, and one, you know, one last, so what keeps me up interest rates are the banks going to perform. That's really the biggest worries. Um, it, I don't worry about rent growth because we're in cheap enough that, uh, we're going to survive. The, one of the beautiful things about op zone funds and how it dovetails nicely into the typical family office is we're patient capital and we're long-term investors. Uh, and the tax law requires that. Our investors are investing in real estate long-term anyway. And if you're going to invest in real estate uh, anyway, you have the choice to invest in real estate you're going to pay tax on or invest in real estate you're not going to pay tax on. And if you assume the returns are about the same, which I can show they are, you're going to be better off not paying tax. That's, I mean, at the core, that's what it does. 
Absolutely. I'm a big fan of opportunity zones myself. I'm an LP in multiple funds. Um, don't need to sell me on the benefits, but Kunal, how about you? You know, what keeps you up at night? What are the biggest risks either again, generalized for any family office or high net worth investor or, or in the sectors that you work with? Yeah. I mean, so obviously I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm on the more, uh, optimistic side of, of folks here, but I think I think a couple of things. I think one is it, it was interesting in this conversation too. We, we we're all implicitly seems to be hoping for some regression to mean, defining the mean as whatever it was. Let's say for the ten year run up before the pandemic, right? Really low interest rates, low inflation, and you know if if y'all took economics like back in the day, that was a weird time to have low unemployment, low inflation, low interest rates, all those things at once. And it's entirely possible that this is the mean, that the timeline of the regression is actually the 30-year timeline, not 15, and that this is not something folks may want, want to really believe but or hear, but maybe the new normal is an interest rate that vibrates, maybe not exactly where we're at, but not at zero, not at one. Money won't be free for the foreseeable future. And I think the the, the memory of these amazing screaming deals that we were able to find in the marketplace for that period of time predating the pandemic uh, could end up inhibiting us if it makes us walk away from reasonably uh, risk-adjusted returns now and in the immediate future, because we think that somehow if we wait a couple of more years, we'll get back to what it was in 2016, 2017. There's a yeah, good chance. Kunal, I, I, I like the this being the regression to the mean if bonds finally pay me some sort of positive return post-inflation. Like, I, I guess right. I could live with the bonds, you know, Bonds not paying two and a half, three, three and a half percent forever when inflation is three percent. So there are good, there are good parts of the current market. And right. you know, it, it to your point, it depends on the the timeline that you're looking at, right? Because you extend out uh the, that data 50 years or hundred years or 120 years, like you might see some decades where some funny things happened relative to our recent and memory, that, right? And that's I think, yeah, just lastly, I just think think having a long-term mindset. If you're in a position to do that, I think saves you a lot of the the short-term angst. We're not arbitrageurs. We're not trying to win the quarter uh, or even the year. We're looking long-term. So we're looking at long-term population growth, long-term macro trends, uh, and then trying to make investments there and then, you know, mitigate risk factors yeah. um, accordingly. Dan Danny, how about how about yeah. you? Is Are yeah. we regressing to the mean now or are we uh, entering a new phase? No, I don't know. For me, what keeps me up at night is uh, is that you know central banks relapse. You know, for me, they are drug addicts. They found a drug which is you know quantitative easing, just throwing money uh, to the economy to solve all the problems. Uh, and and for me, uh, is what keeps you up at night if they're going to relapse and in the first wave of 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 problems that we I'm going to get, we're definitely going. They're gonna go back again to say, you know what? Okay, cut interest rates, throw money uh, uh, again uh, through the economy, and just keep uh, kicking the can down the road and just creating a bigger monster. Uh, you know, you look at the size of the balance sheet of the central banks. Look at the size of the deficits that all the major economies has. These are getting completely out of control. And if you don't, by one way or another, uh, try to fix this there's going to be a such a huge problem going on that we are already bigger than we are the one that we have right now so it's doesn't ex you know a zero interest rate policy does not exist on capitalist world it, it seems people need to give to receive something when they lend their money 
negative mm-hmm. interest rate, it was just an aberration of, of, of macroeconomics. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, if you look at the, and again, you go to the, to the mean of the, of, you know, if you look at, you know, history cap rates on multifamilies, they were six, six and a half. That's the, that's the mean. You know, people think that oh, we should go back to three, three and a half. Like, this is absurd. That it's, 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 it cannot be. People have to understand that what we have been through over since the great financial crisis and with the pandemic, this is is one off that it's going to be studied a lot later on. But this is a one off. It cannot uh, continue. And and what worries me is that you know central banks find a way to you know to solve the situation on the short term pretty quickly and if when the when you get into trouble again that and we are getting we're already getting into trouble right now look at the markets uh they're going to start going to the easy route which is you know cut interest rates throw money out of it everybody and that's uh you know bail out everybody again i think that's what keeps me up at night we have to face the music. So the central banks, they do things the hard way or the easy way. It reminds me of the, the, the Homer Simpson. Way. The Homer Simpson way is the right way and there's the wrong way and the Homer Simpson way, which is the wrong way, but faster, if I remember correctly. So. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Hopefully we don't see that. We had a couple mm-hmm. questions. I know we're, we're almost out of time. I want to respect everybody's time. Uh, but I think these are both good questions. Uh, first question from my friend April Wedding asks, um, are any of our panelists here investing in OZ funds or, or maybe any kind of private fund that are female founded, thus allowing for different kinds of government incentives or government grants? April, it's a good question. I would say, you know, when it comes to government grants, I'm definitely a feminist if, you know, if I as an LP, <laughs> if I can enjoy any sort of increased return. So are any of you involved with investing with projects or funds that are minority or female founded that have different you know grants or incentives uh Danny I'll start with you uh no again we 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 only work mostly we, we have some US uh you know uh resident clients uh but they are minority we majority uh offshore assets so that kind of investments they don't benefit from the because they still going to pay taxes on it so they don't benefit from the tax deferral and not paying taxes so we don't look at those uh, until now. If we go our, our U.S. client base, then hopefully we will. But right now, no. Herc, how about you? We haven't yet pulled the trigger on an investment in a female-led uh, development project, but uh, it's not for lack of looking. We have looked. We are very conscious of the social impact of our projects and what the transformation we're seeing in communities where we deploy <clears throat> our capital. We're also cognizant of the environmental issues and uh, try to, you know, add uh, solar and uh, environmentally friendly materials and things like that. Uh, we're very much on the mind of doing good in addition to uh, having good risk adjusted returns uh, and tax uh, efficient real estate holding for the investors. Uh, totally. So we welcome the opportunity. Uh, we just haven't found the right project. Understood. And we had some several uh, panelists today, presenters talk about solar tax credits, all kinds of mm-hmm. different tax credits. So they're out there. Kunal, how about Revitate? How about your platform? Yeah. So so Revitate is a uh, female founded entity. So Lisa Bethal Mirage um, is a 50% owner in the business and she's a managing partner and uh, the chief impact officer. And so, you know, and obviously we're a minority uh, owned as well. So we check both those boxes on the OZ funds. 
I don't know. I'm not familiar off the top of it. Maybe uh, Kirk, you know, I don't know if there's additional dollars at the OZ fund level. Um, but what we do do is when we look at specific projects and specific markets, you know, like Kirk was saying, you know, to the extent we can find at least local uh, development partners um, who can give them an opportunity to partner with institutional capital, we try to do that. And then certainly as you think about the sort of cascade of sub uh, relationships on a development project, opportunities to bring in um, local, uh, diverse uh, female-led businesses, that's kind of how we look at it. Yeah, absolutely. When you can stack those tax credits together, provided that you're working with, you know, U.S.-based clientele, it's right. a wonderful thing uh, when you can stack those tax incentives. And with that, we are out of time. Stupendous insights here from our panelists. Uh, gentlemen, I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us today. Kunal Merchant from Revitate, Danny Roisman from BrainVest Wealth Management, and Kirk Walton from GPWM Fund. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.